Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In 1957, a Mrs. George Clay, a homemaker from Dallas, submitted her recipe for a chocolate cake to her local newspaper. Mrs. Clay used a specific type of baking chocolate that was richer and sweeter. And the cake became a hit and was soon republished in newspapers across the country. Mrs. Clay had named her cake in honor of the man who had invented the baking chocolate that she used, an English-American immigrant by the name of Samuel German. So Mrs. Clay called her cake German's Sweet Chocolate Cake. The only problem was the newspaper misprinted it, and what was German's chocolate cake became what we know as German chocolate cake. People became so familiar with associating this recipe with German heritage that just six years later in 1963, First Lady Ladybird Johnson made it for German Chancellor Ludwig Erhard so he could have a taste for, of home when he was visiting her husband. Just like thinking that a killer whale is actually a whale, or that a peanut is actually a nut, or that German chocolate cake is some old world German tradition, to think that our text for today, the text commonly known as the parable of the prodigal son, our gospel lesson, deals all with the younger brother, the one we call the prodigal son, is to a common misunderstanding caused by the common title that this parable carries. See, to those listening in the first century, the tax collectors and sinners, Pharisees and scribes, the focus would have not been on the younger brother or the older brother, for that matter, but rather the man, the father who had two sons. Even more so because of the context of the first century. See, Jesus begins this parable with an insult, a rather extreme insult, more extreme than we usually realize. When the younger son, the one we call the prodigal son, asks his father for what is coming to him, half of his inheritance or of his father's inheritance to those listening in the first century, it would have been very literally that younger son telling his father, Dad, you're better off to me dead than alive. Or even, Dad, I wish you were dead. And in a society where honor and respect meant so much, this was a true statement of desire for that younger son to never see his father alive again. To those listening to this parable, they would have been wondering, who does this? What kind of child does this? And they would have been expecting the father's corporal correction to be something that would make what we would call a spanking look like just a friendly pat on the back. That would have been the culturally appropriate response to the insult the son directed at his father. 
Even for the father to show just a little bit of restraint would have been surprising. However, far more surprising than the father showing restraint, the father actually grants his son's request, actually gives him more than what he asked for. In the Greek, very literally, the son asked for half of his father's wealth, and the father responds by dividing up and giving to his younger son half of, and the Greek word for it is bios, or his life. And in the context of the parable, his livelihood. All the materials and resources that this father used for his very existence. And in a culture where there was no convenience like the privacy of a closed-door transaction at a bank where land, animals, property were how you determined wealth, those listening in the first century would have been thinking, oh, what a public humiliation. What a great shame. What a disgrace that the father would publicly sell half of all that he had and just give it to the son so richly and freely. We read that the son takes what he had been given and recklessly loses it all. It would not have been surprising for a son who was brazen and brash enough to wish his father dead by requesting his inheritance to be dumb enough to lose it all and rather quickly. And we read that the son returns home, out of money, starving of hunger, desperately sorrowful for the mistakes that he had made, self-determining that although he could never repay his father, he'd at least offer his life as one of servitude to him to make it just a little bit easier. And then we read that the father from a long way off sees his son, the very son who wished him dead. And those in the crowd would have been thinking, well, this is the father's chance. This is the father's chance to get a little bit of retribution, a little bit of payback on the son who had shamed him so greatly. The son who had dragged his father's name through the muck, who had profaned the name of his father in the community. The son who demanded that his will be done by demanding his portion of the will. This was a chance for the father to show the community, those who mocked him, that this child without the father was not even capable enough to feed himself enough daily bread to keep him alive. And the moment of truth arrives. A father shamed and scorned, although innocent and blameless. His son that caused him great shame in front of him, broken, starving, covered in manure, reeking like the pigsty he had just been living in ashamed. And that son sees the father running towards him and knows the next thing he should feel is the sting of his father's hand across his face. 
And then he feels something different. He feels the warm embrace of his father's arms, the joys of his father's kiss. He looks up and to his great shame, he sees that the dirt and the filth and the manure he had been covered in has transferred on to his father because of his father's great affection for him. And he can't help but mutter the thing he had been practicing in his head the whole way there. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And yet before the child can even finish, he hears his father's voice. And the father doesn't sound angry, and he's not even speaking to the younger son, but rather to his servants, and he sounds excited. There is great gladness in his voice. The child hears the father tell the servants, get my best robe and hurry so that I may put it on my child and cover his filth. And get him my best shoes so that his aching body would hurt no more. And get him a signet ring so that he may bear the seal of my house. And don't be quiet about it. Don't do it in secret. In fact, tell everyone, wake him up if you have to, because I'm throwing a block party. Astonished, the son hears the father muttering to himself, Eureka, I have found the very one I have been so actively looking for. And then at the party, there is a commotion. A commotion because the older brother won't come in. And that older brother shames the father in the same manner that this younger prodigal son had. Publicly humiliating him in front of the community. Shouting at him, look, these many years I have served you. And I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And then in front of everybody, the father stands up and walks over to this older son as well embraces him, encourages him to come in and celebrate the festival, tells the older son in front of everyone that all that is mine is also yours and always will be. But it is fitting, no, it's more than fitting, it's a must that we celebrate because not just my son but your very brother was dead and now is alive. Your brother who was lost has been Found. And the parable ends. And those listening, the tax collectors, sinners, Pharisees, and scribes, are left hanging. Hanging not because of anything to do with the brothers, but because they don't know who that man is. What kind of man would endure such humiliation? What kind of man would allow his children? to disgrace him time and time again, and yet so freely and richly offer his grace and mercy. 
What kind of man lets himself be covered in the stink of unclean swine just so that his child knows he loves them? And what they don't realize is who is that man? It's the man standing right in front of them. The very man telling them this parable. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, God in the flesh. That is the kind of man who would allow himself to be mocked and shamed in front of the ones he loved. That is the kind of man who, bloodied, bruised, tortured, would carry himself the very cross those he loved clamored for him to be hung on. The kind of man who was not worried about his own pride, but humble unto death, even death on a cross. The kind of man who would take on sin, though he knew no sin, so that his children might become his righteousness. Jesus is the one that would look at the sin and the filth in our life, the shame and guilt in our heart, the disgraceful things you have done, and then throw away his own dignity so that your sin, your debts you could never repay, would be paid in full on your behalf. So that God, who has every right to be angry with us, every right to exact his anger on you, cast you off and say, I don't know you anymore, he would turn his anger away from you and onto himself, onto his son, and die in your place. Die in your place so that when you go home today and look in the mirror, and see that broken sinner looking back at you, the one you know is full of the filth of your own transgressions, know that God did not abandon you, but God sought you out. And when you ponder in your hearts the guilt and the shame that comes from the reality of what you have done, remember that God loves you. And when you consider the magnitude of that disgrace and guilt, remember that God died for you. Christ gave himself up for you. Christ himself came in order to be mocked, shamed, and humiliated so that you who were lost would be found. Christ came to die so that you who were dead in your transgressions would have eternal life. And through his death and resurrection on Easter morning, Christ offers you his very inheritance, his own righteousness, his very birthright, the right to be called child of God. Amen. Now as his children, the children he died for, may the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.